title this message, if you take notes, Better Together. It's kind of a romantic phrase. Better Together. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'll read it to you. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, the prisoner of the Lord. We've got to pause for just a moment. The Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, he is actually writing this book from prison. How's your week? <laughs> right? Like Paul is writing this letter actually from a prison cell. It's not like a metaphorical prison where he's like, oh, my life, I just feel so entrapped by my feelings or whatever it is. Um, he's not like emo. He's he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He's actually in a prison cell. He hasn't done anything wrong. It wasn't like he stole somebody, something, somebody. That's kidnapping. He stole something and got caught. No, no, he, he was preaching the gospel, and because of the culture that he lived in, he ended up going, he was arrested for preaching the gospel, being a Jesus follower, and now he's writing to the Ephesians, and he says, I am the prisoner of the Lord. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pause for just a moment right there. So there's been a big transition that's just happened in the book of Ephesians. Chapters 1 through 3 are what we call doctrinal. And the idea of doctrinal or doctrine is beliefs. And basically the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is basically explaining to us who we are in Christ. He says, this is what God offers you. He, he offers you a calling. He offers you purpose. He offers you forgiveness of sins, entering into the life that God has for you. He, he offers you the fullness of himself to fill you and give you contentment and satisfaction in life. And all of this is just simply beliefs. It's all doctrine, almost like theoretical. It's all, it's all these sort of thoughts and ideas and things that we believe. And then he transitions in chapter 4 to begin to talk about practical things no longer is it just in the realm of beliefs it's like because of all of these beliefs what does that mean for you right because I think a lot of times when we come to church there's a lot of it that's very like mystical for lack of a better phrase it's like yeah, that sounds nice like maybe that's a good Instagram quote that could be posted by the factory the next day like that sounds nice but then like what does that mean I go to school like I live at home like I work at McDonald's and this is kind of my life. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's so much up here and then how does that affect my life? And so the Apostle Paul, as the good preacher that he is, he gives us some doctrine things and then he transitions and says, okay, this is how you live it out. This is what all of that means to you. Uh, some scholars would call the first three chapters the sit portion of the book where it's basically you're just sitting in who Christ is for you. What has Christ done? And then chapters four and five and half of six is the walk portion of scripture. 
of this, of this book, where it's like you've sat, you've received, and now that you've received, you've been equipped to go out and walk these things out. And five times just in the next two chapters, he'll tell us to walk in some different way. He tells us in our text to walk worthy. It, later on in the chapter, he says, uh, don't walk like you used to walk. Um, in chapter five, he says, walk in love, walk in light. He also tells us to walk circumspectly. The idea of circumspectly is carefully, like make sure you pay attention to us over and over. Walk in the light, walk in love, walk carefully. All of these ideas, because it's very practical. This is what it looks like to walk with God. And in this text, he shows us the power of walking together. The power of walking together and what that looks like. And again, all of this is a response to what Christ has done for us. The first thing I want you guys to know, if, you, if you're writing things down, he tells us to walk worthy. Walk worthy. Before he talks about all that we do together, he simply tells us to walk worthy. Now, when I hear this phrase, walk worthy, I'm sorry, I just can't help but think of like Thor. <laughs> now, go with me for a second. Like I hear the phrase like walk worthy and like I think of this, you know, I mean, you've probably seen one of the billion Marvel movies that exist. But, like, if you go all the way back to the original Thor, like, Thor's, like, kind of a punk, and, like, he gets kicked out of, like, wherever he's from, uh, as, yeah, Aslan, and um, <laughs> he, he goes to Earth, and there's, like, this whole thing, and his dad, like, whispers into the hammer, and he says, like, whoever is worthy to carry the hammer, like, you will have the power of Thor, and then he, like, throws it out, and then the idea is once Thor is, like, he's, like, this heroic, amazing, superhero kind of character god like he's a god or whatever and he can he can carry the hammer of thor right do you know this is besides the point i was telling hannah about this have you guys seen the newest avengers there's a scene where like they go and he's like gotta get a new hammer and the guy's like you're about to take the force of a full star and it's like the cheesiest line in the whole world i don't know that's bes i like every i'm like the force of a full star like come on people we're grown adults um, what was I saying? Walk worthy, right? So this idea of like walk worthy, it's like this, this superhero, heroic greatness, epicness. Like if you are going to walk worthy of the calling of God, like in my mind, it's like heroics. It's supernatural. It's like I am walking worthy and I am greater than thou and I can wield the hammer of Thor and like all these ideas. And then he transitions. He says, walk worthy of your calling. And then he tells us what that looks like. And when you follow it, at least if you're like me, it's like that's walking worthy of your calling. He doesn't say walk worthy of your calling and then be like super strong and make sure that you never mess up and make sure that your life is perfect and you're awesome and you are just the best walk worthy of your calling. Like make sure that everybody else around you knows how called you are and how uncalled they are. Like make sure that they know that you are Thor and they are not. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, walk worthy of your calling, and then he tells us four things, and all of them, if you were to categorize them, the four different things is really one thing, it's humility. He says, walk worthy of your calling, and you could say, in all humility, 
Walk worthy of your calling in all humility. Four things. The first thing he tells us is lowliness. Lowliness. He says, walk worthy of your calling with all lowliness. Now, lowliness, it's not like Eeyore. It's not like the idea of you're like, oh, this is just me and I'm just so lowly. So humble. Like, you know those types of people that are like, yeah, I'm just no good at all. And they're waiting for you to be like, no, you're all right. You're great. And they're like, really, you think so? <laughs> like, you know those types of people? That's not the idea of lowliness, where he's like, just be like Eeyore and just like beg people for compliments all the time. The idea of lowliness, another word that could be used would just be contentment. The ability to be happy and content even the most difficult seasons. It's something, this idea of lowliness, it's not something that you can really uh, just have. It's something you have to choose to have. Um, Paul would write in another book, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It's on the screen. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, but he says, for I have learned, notice that word learn, in whatever state I am in to be content. He says, I have learned. It didn't come naturally for me. It's something, it kind of like the idea of learning is like you go to school and you try to learn, right? And you go home and hopefully by the end of your however many years it takes you to get through it, are smarter because you learned. He says, I learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. It's something that you learn. He says, this idea of lowliness is contentment. It is learning to be content, satisfied, at peace with what you have. The second thing he tells us, again, under the umbrella of humility, is gentleness. Gentleness. Another, another idea could be non-confrontational. Non-confrontational. Now, I, I don't want to say, like, you can never defend yourself, because I think there is a time and a place for that. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but the ability to let it go. That's the idea. Not the song. <laughs> Frozen does, has no part in this Bible study. The idea of, of gentleness is the ability to just, just go, it really is not worth the fight. You know what I mean? Like somebody says something, you're like, ah, and it's like you, all of a sudden this goes on back and forth. And it's like, why, why do we have to be right all the time? Like, I'm going to prove it to you right now. Google it. Like, aha, <laughs> I told you. And, and there's this idea of, of gentleness is just to be like, ah, great, that's awesome. I'm glad you think that. I was like, again, there's a time and place for conversation, debate, having back and forth. That's okay. But this, this need for us to always be right and to make sure everybody knows that you're right. This is a problem I really struggle with. Like, I, I want to be right, and then in my pursuit of being right, I'll say things that are just not, don't need to be said. Like, takes it too far. Like, now I'm just being mean, not just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like. Really, you had to go there? Pray for my wife. Because I'm like, well, you know, we're having a nice conversation. And then I'll be like, nuh-uh. And she'll be like, actually. And I'll be like, mm. And then we like go back and forth. And it's like, ah, frustrating. You know what I mean? It's like, so pray for me. Non-confrontational. Gentle is the idea that he says. All right, the third thing, he says long-suffering. All of the, again, under the umbrella of humility. The idea of humility, the best way it's been said, I'm sure you've heard this before, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's the idea of humility. 
It's like I'm just not at the forefront of my mind all the time because the reality is we kind of are all the time. Like we think about ourselves way too much. And so the idea of humility is to just say, do you know what? I'm going to think about others first. So he says, first, got to be, what's the first one? I changed the page, lowly. The second one was gentle. The third, long-suffering. This one, I think, is super important for us. It's the ability to walk with people through good times and bad times. It's sad when people go through difficult times and they feel like they've been abandoned by their Christian friends. There's a reality where, where especially, you know, when we, when we even survey the room and we, we look at friends or, or we think about people. And there's a reality where we're going to mess up. We're going to fall short. We're going to do stupid things. And then oftentimes, and I'm just working through this out loud for you, okay? So if this doesn't come out right, forgive me. We'll get through it together, okay? We'll get through it together. I think sometimes we're so concerned with us not messing up that when our friends mess up or our friends do something stupid, rather than being there to help them back up, we say, well, I can't be associated with that anymore or I don't want to be like them. And so we distance ourselves from the people that need us the most at the time. And again, there's a balance, and I'm, I'm just saying this out loud. We're going through this together. It's a journey. But sometimes the people that when they mess up and they do something stupid, what they don't need is for us to get into our Christian car and, like, leave them behind, but rather be around and be available for them. A friend of mine is going through the most difficult season of his life, and in the difficult season, he's mad at Christians, and he's mad at God, and it's so easy for me to just be like, dude, I don't want to be the butt of every one of your Christian negative comments, and it would be so easy for me to just be like, do you know what, call me when you got things figured out, right, like call me when you decide, when you realize that, yeah, your life is bad right now, but God is actually good, and once you figure it out, then call me, and I'll be your good Christian friend again, but until then, just please stop calling me. It would be so easy to do that. But there's this reality, this idea of bearing or long-suffering is the ability to go, okay, you messed up, and it's difficult for both of us right now, but I'm going to still be here no matter what you're going through. Does that make sense? There's, th th that's the type of Christians that we want to be. That's how we walk worthy of our calling, with humility, the ability to go with people and say, I'm not perfect, I don't have it together, and I'm not casting blame or judgment because you've messed up, but here I am, let's go together, and if you mess up again, I'm still going to be here. And if you mess up again, I'm still going to be here. This idea of long-suffering, literally to suffer long, that I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to abandon you. And now we're not trying to play God because God's long-suffering, but we are the best representation of Christ to some people. They may ne never come to church. They may never see God, but they see your life. And so we have the ability to suffer long like Christ has suffered long for us. Long-suffering. The, the last thing he says is to just bear with one another. Bear with one another. Bear with me. You know, like somebody's going like on a long story. You're like, bear with, I'm, it's coming to an end soon. Bear with me. I got to get through this part, and then all of it will come together. Bear with one another. 
Now, here he transitions with long-suffering and bear with one another. He transitions to tell us about how we walk together. It isn't about just putting up with one another. That's not the idea. Bear with one another. Like, just put up with each other. Like, once we get to heaven, everything will be fine. So just pull it together. Like, put, put up with each other right now. Like, we're, we'll get there soon. Like, you know, you're on a long road trip with your fa- family. And the prayer's like, we're almost there. Just please shut up. That's not, the, uh, that's not the Christian life. Where it's like, just hold on until you get to heaven. You'll be fine. <laughs> no, the idea of, of bearing with one another is helping and looking out for one another. Can I make a statement that hopefully is true of this space here that we call the factory? People outside of this place, at school and at work and at home, you will find judgment. People look you up and down about the outfit that you're wearing. They think things about you. They like and unfollow things. Hopefully, I'm trying to make this the staple that that is not true here. When you walk in these doors, you don't have to feel self-conscious about your, what you're wearing or how well you sing or if you know where the book of Ephesians is. <laughs> We're happy that you're here, and we believe that God loves you, and we love you, and we want to walk with you. We want to bear with you, <laughs> not put up with you. We want to do life together, bear with one another. And each week when we gather, know that, listen, people, if they gave you a bad look, we're sorry. They didn't mean it. They love you. And they're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're here. That's the idea. We're bearing with one another. We're, we're doing this together. It's not about one Christian making it to the finish line first. We're all, it's the same race. All, over and over, the Bible calls what we do a race, the Christian walk a race. But it's not like we're trying to beat one another. We're trying to get there together and bring as many people with us as we can. Now, Paul then illustrates this in verses 3 through 6. He talks about how there's one body and one spirit. And he's, he's really just, he's painting the picture of unity. He's bringing all together, unity, that we're all in this together. That there should be this reality that we're all on the same team. And then he co- sort of transitions um, to, to explain this to us. Look at verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that is, uh, that he might fill all things. So Paul basically gives us insight to Christ's work behind the scenes. And then he says... And he, God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Second point is that we are unified but unique. Unified but unique. Paul tells us that each one of us has been gifted a measure of grace. Each one of us has been gifted or given a measure of grace. In the body of Christ or the family of God, we are to be in unity, meaning we're all striving for the same goal. But at the same time, God has given each and every one a unique role to play in that. Now, the goal is the same. The goal is to see those that don't know Jesus meet Jesus. The goal is also to see those that know Jesus 
grow in their relationship with him. So that's kind of the two-part goal of the church and the Christian. It's to see those that don't know Jesus meet Jesus because he can transform their life from the inside out. And then also those that have met Jesus to grow in their relationship, their understanding, their faith in him. That's the goal. And he says the goal is the same, but God has given each and every one of us a unique role in order to reach that goal. It's a nice little rhyme for you. Same goal, unique role to reach that goal. And I think for many of us, we think that God only uses certain people with certain abilities. You know, because there's like some church giftings or callings that are like very obvious. You know, like obviously that person is being used by the Lord. How do I know? Well, they're like singing on the worship team. Or they're preaching the message. Or they're leading the prayer. Or whatever it is. And there's like some things that are like very obvious. Like God is using this person because they have those gifts. But it's like, you're like, I can't sing. And I can't, just going to ignore that, pretend like I didn't hear anything. Like, I, I, I can't speak in front of people. Like, I, I don't, I'm not a very good prayer, I, prayer, I don't know. Like, and, and so sometimes we feel like that because we don't have those giftings, that God can't use us. They're like the more marketable gifts. And then we have just like, what's my gift? I, I don't really know. But he says God gives everyone unique gifting. Each one, grace, he says, was given. So the challenge for us is two parts. One, it is to recognize our calling, right? It's to, it's to identify what is it that God wants me to do. Now, Paul breaks down a couple, and he's talking about leadership in the church, but it's beyond that. He says God has called some to be apostles, which basically the apostle is like a, a message carrier. It's somebody that's been sent out with a very specific message. Uh, then he says um, uh, prophets. The idea of prophet is two parts. One, like we think of prophets like future telling or foretelling. That is one aspect of prophets as it's used in the Bible. Another uh, way prophets are used are basically by reading God's word and explaining it. And you know how sometimes you'll be listening to a message and you'll be like, how, how do they know this about me? Have you ever felt like that? Like this message is like there's nobody else in the room. It's just you. And you're like, wow, how is this? That's the gift of, of prophecy in action. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're thinking. God does, and his word is able to communicate past those things that I don't know, and you haven't told anybody. It's that gift of prophecy. Evangelist, the idea of evangelism is just sharing your faith. And some people have an extra portion of evangelism. Like, I'm sure you've met that person that, like, they talk about Jesus and people get saved. Like, I got friends like that. that They just start talking, and it's like, how'd you do it? Like, I could put the best sermon I've ever put together and preach it, like, with the, no feedback, no distractions. Like, everything's great. And, like, one person's like, I'll do it. And then they just, like, walk up to somebody, and they're like, yeah, let's, when's church? Let's do this thing. And some people just have that extra gifting. And then the final thing he says, the pastors and teachers, there's, there's sort of one, two words to describe one gift. It's the, the shepherding the church. And so he, he's saying there's these different roles. But notice he doesn't say who has these roles or how many people have these roles. He just says God has given some to be blankety, blank, blank, blank. 
And, and so the idea for us is we have to recognize our gifting and our calling. It might be one of these things. It might not be. Other people have the gift of hospitality. Other people have the gift of encouragement. Other people have the gift of uh, there's different things that, that we can have that allow for us to participate in the ministry of, of what God's doing. And we have to recognize it. But then also, secondly, we have to live out our calling. It's not enough to just recognize, like, yeah, I'm, I probably would be a blank. Like, I probably could be a very great something. But do you ever live that out? I've met people that are evangelist so-and-so. Like, What's up? I'm evangelist so-and-so. I'm like, okay, evangelist so-and-so. So what do you do, evangelist so Like, right? And, and, but the idea is like that, well, just because you put that title on you doesn't make you an evangelist. What makes you an evangelist is do you see people coming to know Jesus through what you say to them? Right? You know what I mean? Like, that's an evangelist. Some people, they'd have that name, but it's like, yep, yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> then other people, they're just going, they're working at a coffee shop, and they're talking with people, and people are getting saved, and that's an evangelist. So it's recognizing it and then living it out. And all of your giftings, this is the point that Paul's trying to make, is that all of your giftings work together to glorify God and to point people to him. All of your giftings work together. No, the, Paul would write in the book of Corinthians about how there's so many different pieces that make up the family of God, but each one has a unique role and a unique purpose, and all of them working together create one full body. And he illustrates this by, by the, the human body, and he says, what good would it be if your eye decided that it no longer wanted to be an eye, but it wanted to be a foot? And you're like, well, well then where would the seeing be? That's what he says. What, 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 what about the seeing? can't be a foot. You can't all be feet. Then how would we see? Or what if your ear decided, I don't want to be an ear. I want to be a hand. Like, but where would the hearing be? Right? That's the idea that he's trying to say. All of us, different giftings, different roles come together to, to accomplish one purpose. Final thought, and we'll actually... Final thought, then I'll read the verses. Point number three, grow together. That's the, what he wants us to do. He wants us to walk worthy of our calling. He wants to recognize that we are unified but still unique, that God has specific callings for each and every one that work together. And the point of that is for us to grow together. Look at verse 12. For, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cutting craftiness of deceitful plotting. I love that verse. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, grow up in all things, in him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplied according to the effective working by which every part does its share, listen, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he says, walk worthy of your calling. How do you do that with humility? Okay, I'm looking out for other people. Then I recognize that God has a call on my life, a very specific call for me. And it's, that call is going to work together 
to produce one final action, which is to glorify God and point people to Jesus. And as we work together, we're going to grow in our relationship with God. That people around us are going to grow. When you're growing in your relationship with God, the people around you should be growing in their relationship with God. You should find that, that as you grow, it's sort of like we talked last week, it leaks out of you and other people are able to grow as a result of what God's doing in and through you. And the church is designed for us to come together and be encouraged and grow. And when we do that, it allows for us to make an actual impact on our world. Listen, when we're alone, we struggle personally. How many of you know that bad stuff happens when you're alone for too long? You know what I mean? Like, why'd you do that? I just got bored. Like, boredom is never a good thing. Right? We're alone. And bad stuff happens. When we're alone, we struggle personally, and we can't make as big of an impact. This is a really stupid illustration. Worship team, you guys can come up here. Another stupid illustration. That's all I got for you is stupid illustrations. Imagine for a second, if you would, that this stage, let's just say, let's just say like this portion of the stage is, is the world that we're trying to reach. Right? I'm trying, forgive me if this doesn't make any sense. Imagine that this is the portion of, of a world that we're trying to reach. And I'm just one guy, right? So I'm doing my best to reach people. So I'm like just going everywhere I can to reach people with the gospel. And I'm like, I'm at every, every gym, not really. I'm at every, sorry, Alex, I'm in your space. I'm at like every coffee shop. I'm like trying to be on every school campus. I'm like, I'm at every, whatever, and I'm trying to reach people with the gospel. Back and forth. It just take me forever. It never work. Can I have, like, maybe eight volunteers? All right, come up here. Just eight people. Come up here. And I'll, and I'll just come on, come on. I'll tell you when to stop. Just come on, 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 come on. All right, you stand all the way over to Alex, and then the other side stand. I need people on both sides of me. This side. I need a few more. I need a few more. Come on, a few more volunteers. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. All right. All right. Come on. All right. Let's do this. Let's lock arms like this. Can we? All right. Now imagine, imagine here we are as the, as the, the family of God, the church of God. And again, this, this whole stage is the people we're trying to reach for the gospel. Okay. Let's all on the count of three, take one step forward. Okay. One, two, three. Look how quickly we just reached the whole stage. It wasn't me by myself running around and trying to reach people. It was us together taking one step, and look how we did it. Because all I had to do was reach the people around me, and all you had to do was reach the stage around you, and all you had to do was reach the You see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, we together are able to reach the people that God wants us to reach, and very quickly, we can see our schools and our homes and our workplaces and the random person at the coffee shop and the random person that grunts too loud at the gym. And you see what I'm saying? All right, thank you guys, you can sit down. Can we give it up for them? We're able to reach the people that God wants us to reach when we are growing together. It's not just about me. How much could I do? Even, even on my best day, how am I gonna transform our community? How am I gonna do it? I, I got like, 
like 100 friends on Facebook. Like, what do you mean? How am I going to do it? It's, I can't. But then when each one of us go, okay, who can I reach? How can I encourage somebody? How, how can I use what God has given me to be a blessing to somebody else? And then all of a sudden, people just, they start seeing that. They start seeing your life, and, and your life makes an impact. And the person next to you is growing and is inspired to say, yeah, I want to reach my family, and I want to reach my friends, and I want to reach the person in my classroom. And all of a sudden, that's how God's going to work when we come together. Listen, we are better together. And so it starts by being humble. Humility. It's not, it's not always all about me. It's about what part can I play in what God wants to do. I, I try to say this, especially to our leadership, that it's not about one person doing everything. It's about everybody doing something. It's not about one person trying to figure everything out. Like, let's do it. No, it's about everybody. Like, I got my little part to play. I got my little part to play. I got my little part to play. And it might not see, seem significant as you just do your one little part. But then when you are able to zoom out and look, pull your head up and look and see, oh, my gosh, look at the difference that we're making as a result of us working together. We're better together. So let's be together. Let's, let's grow together. Let's love one another. Let's bear with one another. Let's look out for each other. Let's look for ways to, to get out of our comfort zone and be that encouraging voice to somebody else. Hey, you can do that. Hey, you know, you're gifted for way more than what you're living with and what you're living for. Hey, I know you failed and I know you messed up, but I love you and I want to see you back on your feet and I want to see you stepping into the plans and purposes of God. Hey, would you pray for me about this as well? And what happens is we're able to grow together. We're able to make the impact God wants us to make. Let's stand together. Let's pray.